This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. What's up, everybody? We're back here tonight on the O2 podcast. Uh, Corey and Paul joining myself. We are going to go around the table here, get you a little bit of news, a little update on the deer season, as well as what we've been up to. So, uh, Corey, you want to give us a quick, quick rundown where you've been, what you've been up to? I uh, got out in the woods a couple times. Um, one was an eventful night, saw handful of deer none in bow range um the next night didn't see any deer but it was still a good night beautiful night weather was nice um other than that just working ready to get back out into the woods again as soon as i can aren't we all paul Hmm. pheasant season started last friday did you get to go out i did yeah me and uh, a bunch of guys went out and uh, I took I took two newbies. Uh, it was their first time uh, pheasant hunting or rabbit hunting or any of that good stuff. And uh, two brothers, real good friends of mine, and uh, they are they're going to listen to this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw them throw them under the bus. But my my one buddy, I, I let him use my my shotgun, and uh, dude, this this rooster popped up like five feet in front of him and i watched the entire thing i mean i'm you know i'm 20 yards from him and he and he yells out and he's like here we go i mean just pure excitement <laughs> i was loving it he 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 forgot to turn the safety off oh, so yeah. like he's trying to shoot this gun and this bird's flying off and he finally gets it off and misses his first shot and then i don't know what happened like i i it was just like one of the, like the second shot was just a total dud. Like, I, I don't know if it was just the primer went off, but it was just a pop. Like it, it didn't actually like the, the round didn't actually fire. And uh, You're using those bootleg rounds again, aren't you? Yeah. It's one probably, probably bought that shit off of some Instagram ammo account, some crap like that. I don't know. Do you guys get those too? Or is it just me? Like every, every time we get a friend request, it's some schmuck selling ammo on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah. So it's like the uh, it's like the new bots all sell ammo online. So, but no, it was fun. We uh, we we had a we we ran into a ton of pheasants. We couldn't get them to jump. Couldn't get them to flush. We only got that one to flush. Um, but it was a good time. So I didn't have I, I had to work. I didn't have a ton of time to to get out. Um, I won't go into depth too much, but I used I used one of the properties on the old lap program in Ohio and. Uh, I sold my truck, my four wheel drive truck back in the spring and bought like a family SUV. That's not four wheel drive and it couldn't make it up a hill, <laughs> and, but it gets uh, to the zoo. Okay. 
Shut up, man. What? <laughs> it does. It gets to the zoo. Great. I can get the wagon in the back of the Explorer, but I can't put a dead deer in it. So um, now nah, it was, uh, it was kind of sketchy. It was, it was a long, it, it, it was a long process, but I'll, uh, I don't know. Trying to talk to my wife to let me buy a new car or a new truck. So you guys both have used that program now, right? No, I haven't yet. I uh, I want to, but I I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I wanted to get one daylight climb in before I go into a new property in the dark blind and climb. So Paul is it I've- pretty is it pretty easy on the paperwork or the yeah it was it was pretty easy. The only thing that um it's so once you hit like this is the property that i want to hunt you and you have like i think it's three minutes there's like a timer that you have to like reserve your spot so the the property that that i said okay this is where i want to hunt you got three minutes you know i was like you know looking at onyx to see where the parking line you know because like the the parking spots were the instructions were pretty, pretty clear, like where to park. So, I, and I, I missed my spot. So I had to like go back in and start over. So, and I did mine at like, it was seriously like 11 o'clock at night and there were no one had used it. So, you know, if, if you're trying to get in on like a hot, like a real nice piece of property, you know, yeah, um, I didn't realize it reset every night at 8 PM, eight o'clock. Yep. So 8 PM every night it opens up for the following day. Yes. I didn't realize that. Yep. I thought it was just you had to have your reservation in by 8 p.m., but it reset the properties reset every night at 8 yeah. p.m. Yep. Good to know. Uh, let's see. I spent some time. I took some days off work. So I spent some time in our woods and then I went over to Pennsylvania for a little bit, chased after turkeys, didn't get any. Uh, I saw a lot of deer. So that when rifle season comes around, I will not see any deer because that's just how it works. But um, it was good. A ton of deer sign. Holy smokes. The rubs and scrapes uh, out of control. And then uh, I think the, the I don't want to say highlight, but the most amazing thing in the whole weekend uh, for me was about 24 degrees the one morning. I mean, it was cold, heavy frost and all that. And then this morning it was still it was like 33 or something over there and i pulled 10 ticks off of me i couldn't oh believe God. that after those hard frosts and stuff those things were still kicking but they were and i also figured out where i'll never walk again when i'm over there so <laughs> through that brush underneath the power line but that's why um, yeah so besides that it was it was pretty good weekend in the woods um you can't have a bad weekend in the woods right but um still don't have that buck take filled but we're working on it and we'll find time here coming up need that weather to cool it back down getting into the the good time yeah so this is whatever yeah, this weekend is supposed to drop down to the low 40s up here I saw so some snowflakes I mean, yeah i was gonna say so it's a if you look at the extended forecast next monday they're calling for a little bit of snow 29 28 for the low a little bit of snow then, i'll uh, take that I've been going into work real early so that, you know, when it looks nice one day, I can take off work early and maybe get out to the deer stand with an hour or so before it gets dark. Good stuff. I did see this week when I was out, was it last Thursday? I did have at least one buck. I couldn't tell if it was one or two that went through. Um, Definitely out moving and grooving. 
<clears throat> so it won't be long, but a um, little bit of news from around the state. And this was as of October 26th, we had 9,722 antler deer and 14,671 antler list deer that have been harvested. Uh, that's a total of just over 24,000. Um, Coshocton has the highest total harvest with 967 and Tuscarawas is second with 797. Holmes County is third with 735. So be nice. just a little update. I think we get up to like almost 70 some thousand. Does that sound right that we get for the year? So about a third of the yeah, way there. Yeah. That's pretty good. Pretty good total. Um, the only other thing I've got is that you've got youth gun season. It comes up on November 20th and 21st. So we're still a couple weeks out on that. But if you're youth, get your gun tuned up, get ready to go. If you're trying to get your uh, your weekends of quiet in the woods uh, and your bow hunting, <laughs> make sure you get that done before youth season rolls around so paul Corey, you guys got anything else on the news front nope no no i don't it's kind of everything's just in motion at this point so it is man i hope i hope everyone listening is uh having a good time in the woods and getting geared up and, and ready to go so if you shoot something tag us at ohio hunt on twitter uh what is it? The dot O two dot podcast on Instagram. Tag us on that. And none of us have opened up Facebook yet. So I, I'm, sorry. I'm not thinking, I'm thinking we might not. So, but no. yes, that's, uh, <laughs> that's where we're at there on the old social medias, but without any further ado, we will get into our podcast talk today. So um, we were actually lucky enough to pin down Mr. Dan Johnson for about an hour, give us some some rut tactic uh, moving forward here. Dan is a very successful hunter. He is obviously the one in charge of the Sportsman's Nations Network, um, but he also uh, he's a nice guy, and he sat down with us and gave us all the ins and outs that we needed to be successful for the rest of the year. So I hope you guys find something out of this that you can take and and put to good use if you've already tagged out congratulations if not keep working your time will come so and with that we'll get to dan take care everybody See And we are back today on the O2 podcast tonight. Corey and Paul and myself are joined with our special guest, Mr. Dan Johnson. Dan, how are you doing this afternoon? Ear to ear smile. You probably haven't had that smile come off for a few <laughs> days there, have you? No, man. It's, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm in a really good mood. Um, I'm in such a good mood that uh, my kids have been fighting all night and I've been able to ignore them without, uh, without yelling. That's how good of a mood I'm in. 
That's awesome. That's impressive. That is very impressive. <laughs> good for you, man. <laughs> so. We're and I just talked talk, we were talking to Dan off air, but uh, we're not going to talk too much of, about his big smile. He did fill his his buck tag. Um, if you want to listen into his podcast uh, this week, he'll tell you all about that. I think, right, Dan? Is that? Yep. Uh, I think I'm going to launch the story on Wednesday of this week. So I think your guys are coming out on Wednesday too, right? Yeah. 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 So listen to this podcast first, then go over to the nine finger chronicles and I'll tell you the story about it. There you go. Um, so Dan, we're going to talk at this point uh, when we release this, it's going to be November 10th. Yes. As we watch Instagram and go wild Facebook and everything, we're seeing a lot of tags filled a lot of big bucks out there, but we also should be, I think pretty well aware that there's still a lot of time left, right? For those yeah. of us who haven't. And so at this point, we're just trying to figure out if you haven't filled your tag uh, or if you want to fill doe tags or whatever, but like, what are we going to, what do we need to do? Where are we at in this rat race called the rush, the rut? Uh, how, how should we be attacking this moving forward? Um, and just go through some of those different topics. So I guess the, and I, I was over in Pennsylvania the last few days. Um, so I got to make a nice drive back into Ohio today and I covered most of the Eastern half of the state. The first thing that comes to my mind um, is, is focusing in on the does. And a lot of people are saying, you'll find the does, you'll find the bucks, find the does, find the bucks. I'm, as I'm driving and, and even my time over in Pennsylvania, I saw so many does that had I not known better, I would have thought it was in the middle of July, just walking by themselves out in the field with a couple other does, just eating, just like nothing, nothing was going on. Nobody's pestering them yet. Nobody's pestering them. They didn't have a trail coming behind a tail coming behind them in that, that buck. Now at the same time, I did see some that were very clearly in that whole phase. Um, and I get it. Like not all the does are going to come in at the same time, but I guess my question is, is it one of those things, if you see does three or four of them out in a field at this point eating, you know, they're on their normal bed to food patterns or whatever, is it a pretty safe bet on November 10th that if you kind of can stay on those, eventually they're going to have one that starts to go into heat and then the other one, you know, then you're going to have the bucks coming through to follow them. Is that a, is that a safe assumption at this point? Yeah, I think you can assume that, right? Um, man, honestly, man, we could sit here and we could go through every single, um, what if scenario, what if, uh, there's four does in a group coming out in a field? What if there's one doe? What if, uh, we see a buck, uh, a mile away, you know, like there's so many things that, uh, can or can't like can or cannot happen during the rut. It, it can almost cause a guy to get uh confused honestly i think this is just it it we've overcomplicated everything in the rut the rut is simple it's just like man for the first thing you have to do is you have to be able to locate something that you want to shoot if we're if we're talking about a buck or a specific caliber of deer here we have to be able to locate those animals right and yes 
doe groups are important this time of year because doe groups, you know, obviously does are in charge of the rut. The bucks are going to go where the does are. So to answer your question, yes, if you can pattern a doe group, then at some point there's going to be a buck coming, you know, to check them out at some point. Now, do you have the time? Do you know when that is going to be? Mm, probably not. And what I mean by that is you're not going to be able to spend so much time in a tree um, watching a specific doe group to the point where you're like, I mean, how, how much time are you willing to spend on a specific doe group? Because I don't I don't know a lot of guys who are have, you know, the based off scientific research, the peak of the, the breeding season is November 14th. That means in that study that. Uh, uh, a majority of does bred are bred on the 14th. And then it's a bell curve leading up to that and leading down away from that, the further you get into November. So there, it, there are does that will breed into December even, or, or as early as, you know, the first couple, you know, the first week of October. So with all, with all that said, um, you can sit and you can watch a doe group, uh, but unless you know when they're going to go from historical information, when they're going to go into estrus, you might be wasting a lot of time just sitting and watching does. And I just had thought, um, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. We had asked one of our other guests and they weren't sure. Um, if you have a doe that is late in their cycle this year, is it going, are they going to be late next year? Is that something that happens on like an annual basis or is that something that's just kind of random? Do you have any idea on that? Yeah. So I'm not a wildlife biologist at all, but what I can tell you is I have a farm that I hunt and there is a doe group in Iowa that a lot of the big mature bucks like to hang around that part of the farm in the late part of October and the first part of November. I would say the last three or four, I'd say the last five days of October and the first five days of, uh, of November. Now, I also have another group on the far east side of the farm where there's a, there's a shift. Those does get bred and there's another doe group that seems to be real, like the bucks are real interested in, in the east side of the farm because my gut feeling tells me that the, that doe group comes in the 5th to the 15th, somewhere in there. So, I mean, if you're, if, you're loca if you're sitting there trying to watch that doe group and you have dedicated one week of vacation to the first week of November, well, you might just miss that, that opportunity uh, on, on some kind of hitless buck if you're only hunting doe groups. It's the smart play though, because I mean, does they're going to come into heat at some point. You just have like, historically, I, I know this because I've, I've hunted this farm for like 13 years now. And I know that there's a major, majority of the does are still grouped up. They're, they're comfortable. If there is a buck pushing them, it's probably just a, you know, a one or two year old, but the, all the big dogs are where the action is. And, um, this year when I shot my buck, it was on that, that opposite side of the farm with the early doe group. Gotcha. So at, at this point, uh, November, well, today's the eighth, but the 10th, where, where did you say we are in that bell curve? 
And that's a hard question to answer because a lot of people think the rut is the rut. Like it's rutting right now. It's rutting. It's, it's rutting from November 1st. They look at a calendar and they just assume that the first two weeks in our, of November are the rut. Well, on the law of averages, yes, but it's like, like I said, the rut on my farm that I have access to, a guy could hunt, could come in and, and not know anything about the farm and he could hunt there and he could go, man, first week of October, there is no rutting activity at all. It's dead. Those groups are still coming through. They're, they're not being bothered. They're not being pestered. And you could hunt literally a half a mile to the West and you would go, holy shit, it's on fire here. Right? So it's so, it's so hit and miss because a mile down the road, it could be on fire and where you're hunting at, it could be just dead as a doornail. And, uh, it's, it's so hard for me to answer a question like that because without like, without looking at a deer and going ah, she's been bred, it's hard to say where we are, but I'll tell you this right now, get out in the woods is what you should be doing this time of year. It doesn't matter what the doe groups in your area are doing. The deer are on their feet. They're moving around. And that's the same thing you should be doing. You should be on, you should be in a tree stand hunting. And if you don't like what you see, you should be moving to a new area to locate what you want is what you want and continue that process until you connect with what you, uh, what your goal is. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to ask you about specifically public land hunting. One of the spots that I've hunted for years down in Southeast Ohio, it's public land, state forest. And over the years, it's become more and more popular. A lot of out-of-state hunters uh, have found out about it, a lot of in-state hunters. So, you know, 10 years ago, there might be, I might share, you know, 15,000 acres with five people. And now, you know, last year I go out that second week of November and there's 20 cars where there used to be two. Yeah. And so, you know, I show up now all of a sudden, you know, what I've been doing for years, I'm sitting there going, oh, shit. What do I do now? There, there, there's, there's 15 people standing, getting ready to walk into the woods. And so, you know, my wheels are spinning. Like, you know, what is it, is it as simple as, you know, I used to go three miles into the woods. Now I have to go seven miles or is there something else that guys can look into just kind of like that quick, my plan just got blown out of the water. What do I do now? That's a, that's a great question. And, um, I don't look at land like public or private. Really, I look at it as pressured or not pressured because I hunt on a property that is private, but it also has pressure on it. So you have to be able to, um, for me, sitting in a permanent stand, I, I can't even comprehend what that would be like these days. I just, I don't understand how guys can do that. They, they, they go back, they don't see anything. And then they go back to those same spots again and again and again and again. And the next thing you know, their vacation's over or the season's over. And they're like, oh man, I, there was so much pressure. Well, no shit. You're part of the pressure. You're going to the same part, the, the same place over and over and over and over again. And you are, you are part of the problem. Now, if you're mobile and if you have uh, the ability to, um, observe your surroundings, read sign, read terrain, and 
flank the pressure because let's just say, let's just say uh, for all intensive purposes, this 15,000 acres lays in a huge valley, right? The deer are bedded on the west side and the food source is on the east side, right? And throughout this little area or this area, there's 15 other guys sprinkled in there. Well, that tells me the deer are probably going to just be moving nocturnally, right? There's going to be a lot of nocturnal movement um, or the rut is going to take place closer to the bedding or closer to the food source um, or not even in that area because they've just been pushed completely out. So I would say that you, you have to, the, the more pressure, the more active you have to be in locating that sign and locating where that deer move movement is. And, uh, man, if you're sitting there one night and you see more dudes than you see deer, then it's time to probably move and, and look for that, uh, you know, look for that, that new, uh, that new area within whatever uh, property you have access to. It's like, it's like finding a different bar when you're in college. If there's too many dudes, you just went on to the next one, right? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so, so Dan, I do have a question. When you're talking about the, the mobile thing, and we've talked a little bit about it on our stuff here. Um, to the people who've always been in that one ladder stand or two ladder stand type things, maybe they're trying out the mobile stuff. I was just looking at our forecast here in Ohio. We got mid sixties, mid low sixties upcoming here. That's what it is. It's warm again. And last year we had a warm start to the rut, but like one of the things you go to start moving around and whether it's a climber, a saddle, uh, hang on, whatever, I feel like you make a lot of noise, you sweat and stink. Yep. Uh, you cause a lot of disruption in the woods, but obviously you have success with that. And I get, personally, I have a couple trees where I have preset st- uh, sticks in there that yep. I know I can take down if I need to, but I'm going to, I like them where they're at right now. So until I have an issue with that or it's not working, um, I'll move them or I'll leave them there. But I mean, to somebody who's new to this mobile idea, is, is that not something that you run into a lot or caught? Do you have any concerns with that? I mean, what's the other option? Sitting in, sitting in the same spot and, and expecting different results. I, I have failed more times than a lot of guys. And I've failed more times sitting in, in a tree stand uh, on a field edge and just wondering where the deer are at, man, the the buck that I killed on, um, this past Thursday, if I was hunting a field edge, I would have never saw this buck. Right. So you have to, you have to open your mind and say, um, okay, so I have, I have some experience with lean manufacturing and in lean manufacturing, there's principles called five Y right? So let's say on a, on a factory line, uh, there is a, there's a, a defect in the product. So the, the uh, continuous improvement team goes in there and they say, we got to fix this problem. Why is this product uh, defective? Well, uh, this chain is broken. Why is this chain broken? Because it, it's, it's been rubbed raw. Well, why is it rubbed raw? Well, because this bolt is loose. Well, why is this bolt loose? So you can apply those same principles to, uh, to, to hunting and you can ask yourself, listen, uh, you know, why am I not seeing deer? Well, because I'm, I'm hunting, uh, I'm hunting a, uh, a field edge. Well, why am I hunting a field edge? 
Well, because like, and then from there, it can just go one of a thousand different places or um, uh, I got busted. Why did I get busted? Well, because my access was bad or the wind was bad. Well, why did I set up here if I knew the wind was bad? Well, maybe I was lazy. Maybe it it was the the terrain. Maybe it was uh, the, the vegetation on the trees. The, the way I've learned, and it's been, it's been straight up the hard way. Uh, it's, it is, you have to be able to understand why you're being unsuccessful as much as you are successful. And not only where the deer are at, but you also have to know where the deer are not at. And when you can uh, approach a strategy, a hunting strategy, knowing all of those things, it makes it, it just makes it a little easier for, for you. And I know I'm kind of ranting right now, but it's, it's one of those things where you, if you're sitting in the same spot over and over and over again, and I, I don't, let's say a guy, he only has a ladder stand. Being mobile isn't your gear. Being mobile is your attitude. So take, take down the the tree stand, uh, the ladder stand and move it to the next ridge. It may take 45 minutes to an hour to move it a hundred yards, reset it up again, set it up, strap it, whatever you have access to, but how bad do you want, how bad do you want to fill your freezer or how bad do you want that buck on the ground? Um, it, it, you just, you have to be, um, you have to be fluid in your approach. So when you're calling the root cause analysis approach to deer, that exactly that that that, that is a great great analogy i've never thought about it that way but that's amazing so when you're calling that audible not seeing deer where do the deer go and 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 you're trying to reformulate a new strategy what what things are you going to pick out in your mind where it's just like that kind of leads you to that new location are you looking at maps is it just what you've seen before yeah, it's everything. Historical data, it's maps, it's trail camera pictures, it's sighting from the tree stand, it's fresh sign. Okay, so here's how I do it, and here's how I did it this year. Um, check my trail cameras, right? My trail cameras have probably the most recent data of anything, right? Uh, so, okay, I have a picture of a, a deer here. So that encounter with my trail camera tells me that there is a deer at this point, at some point in the, in the day. All right. And then let's say, uh, two days later, I see him from a tree stand working a ridge. I put another dot on a map. So slowly what I'm doing is I'm uh, triangulating his position and I'm drawing lines on a map from every encounter that I have with him, whether it's uh, trail camera pictures, whether it's uh, sightings from the tree stand, well, maybe it's a potential a big rub or a big scrape. And then I look at a map and it actually has all this, um, this data on it, all these dots. And you draw, you draw these lines from dot to dot, dot to dot. And then you, you look at the map and you say, okay, well, this is a, this is a field that this is a field or a pasture the deer aren't just going to walk right through the middle of this pasture. So I know I don't need to hunt there. Then you look, you look at all these other dots and you say, okay, well, here's a good terrain feature. Here's a good terrain feature. Here's a good terrain feature. Okay. I got a South wind. What terrain feature can I hunt on a South wind? Okay. It's a North wind. What, what terrain feature can I hunt on a, on North wind? And it's just this, this, it almost, for me, it becomes binary. 
where you're just on and off, on and off, on and off. Like, yes, I can do this. No, I can't do this. Okay. If I can't do this, you go on to the next, the next, uh, uh, equation. Okay. The equation I have today is South wind. I have, uh, uh, this terrain feature. I have this trail camera. Uh, what's the best place I can put myself into. And, and then the more you hunt, the more information you gather. And for all this information that you gather, it should, it should be easier to pinpoint this deer's location and movement and, and maybe even a pattern, even during the rut, maybe even a pattern. And you just put yourself in the best position, best access routes. And I'll tell you right now, access routes are probably the most important, um, uh, part of a strategy that a lot of people just do not give a shit about. They, they walk into a tree stand thinking they're perfect. And then instead of walking that same path out, trying to be perfect on the way out, they'll take the shortcut to their truck. And uh, just cause it's, uh, well, I, I didn't see shit tonight. Well, guess what you did in the dark? You just bumped him. So whole bunch, it's a whole bunch of different things rolled into one. And the more information you can gather, the better your decision-making can be. Okay, Dan. So I'm going to go out to my stand on you know, whatever day coming up here. I'm rolling out of bed and I look at my phone and my app says, oh, look, there's, there's a big deer underneath your tree stand. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to continue getting ready. And then, uh, you know, you're, you're starting to roll out of the driveway and you look and say, oh, look, there's another big deer underneath my tree stand. And you've got about a 15 minute drive to get to this place. Uh, I'm, I'm, I might be asking for a friend here, but the, uh, what, how would you handle that? As far as you know, there's deer, good sized deer underneath your stand and you're trying to sneak in there in the dark. Do you leave that one alone? Do you wait till the sun comes up? Do you just sneak in anyways? That's a tough scenario because I'll tell you what didn't work for me. If that's, I mean, my friend, if yeah. that's what you want to know, like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, man, I, I, Every morning hunt, I approach, I approach every morning hunt like I'm getting busted anyway. I mean, you are putting yourself, I mean, I mean, let's be honest, deer don't just come from one location. They're all over the woods. And if you think that they're not hearing you walking into the woods, even if you're playing Peter Pan and tiptoeing through the woods, man, you're wrong. They, they know you're there, but then what they don't know is that you climbed a tree and now you've, you've become quiet. Right. And, and they go, man, hmm, well, I heard something, but eh, that because their brains are so small, they just don't, they don't think like we think. Right. So they forget about it and they didn't smell you, or maybe they smelled you and then maybe they, they have gone away, but I just assume I'm getting busted at some point going into the, the tree, the, into the tree stand. And that's why access routes are so important because you want to minimize the amount of pressure through your access route that you're putting on, on that, on whatever deer part of the farm that you're, you're trying to hunt. And, um, for me, it's, it's just, I, I guess it's something I just don't think about. I try to get to the tree stand as fast as possible, as early as possible, uh, maybe an hour before uh, sun up and just sit, you know, get set up and sit there absolutely quiet 
and just kind of observe what I hear. I still get busted walking into the woods. You know, it's, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was like November 1st. I, I, I mean, I walked, I have a farm that is just thick and nasty and gnarly and I'm crunching, I'm breaking leaves. I'm crunching leaves. Uh, it's just, it's loud. And I get to the tree and um, I'm pulling my bow up and it clinks against my tree stand. And I'm like, I'm just sweating because I'm, I'm so pissed at myself. I'm making all this noise. I get buckled in uh, and, you know, things just aren't right. I, I get my clothes on and I, I sit down. I'm like, oh man, I can't believe I got busted. I take one deep breath and this doe blows for the next 50, like what felt like an hour. She blew for <laughs> It was probably just 10 minutes, but it felt like a long time. So, you know, she was probably just working her way through and then, I don't know, heard me, but I probably would just go to that stand and I would, I would try to hunt. I would try to hunt right there where they're at. If you bump them, you bump them. Um, but in the dark, I feel like you have a better chance of getting away with it than if it's broad daylight and you're climbing up and, you know, walking in, climbing up you know, cause maybe they'll come back through. Who knows? Are you a fan of the bump and dump? Uh, I I've done it one time successfully. I, I wouldn't say that I am. It's an active part of my strategy. Uh, I know guys who can do it and do it fairly well. Um, there, there are, is a couple strategies that I, I'm not going to call it a bump and dump because I feel like a bump and dump. You're walking through the woods, you bump them out of their bed. But one thing that I like to do, and this is not for someone who's learning how to bow hunt. If you're, if you're learning and you're brand new, don't do this because you'll fail more than you'll be successful. But what I like to do is I like to access my tree stand. Let's just say there is a ridge. It runs east, west. Uh, the South is the high, high ground and the North is the low ground. Uh, and maybe there is a, um, a ri uh, another ridge or draw that runs North, North, South. So what I'll do is I'll go to the very uh, South part of that uh, drainage and I will access my tree stand with my scent blowing straight into the woods. Um, but it's, it's not real close. It's a long ways away. So the, by the time my scent gets there, uh, it's diluted enough to where, because I have a, I have a gut suspicion. Again, I'm not a deer biologist. I don't know how they think, but if a deer smells you at five yards, the potency of your scent is going to indicate if, whether they see you or not, they'll go, they'll get a nose full of you and they'll go, Oh, I'm out of here. Something's close as opposed to 500, 600 yards away, they don't think that's a threat because they can, they can judge distance based off potency of scent. And um, so what I, sometimes what I like to do is, and, and this is going to sound crazy, but I'll blow, I'll, I'll take a huge loop around blow my scent right down into the drainage and I'll hook back in to the bottom part of that drainage with my scent blowing over top Um kind of over top of where they, I think they would come out. And so I, my scent would go down that drainage and potentially blow things out. But by the time I get to my stand and I J hook back in, they would be coming in my direction. If that makes sense. So in a way, maybe a bump and dump, maybe not. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hunting the beds that they, that they were 
they were actually in. It's more of a push with my scent. You got to come up with a good name for that. I like it. <laughs> I'm gonna brainstorm on that. So, yeah. when, so, so when we're as bow hunters, what's the what's kind of like the one you know during the rut, the one area that that you think is the most important to hunt: buck bedding, doe bedding, transition zones, food sources. What if I'm just looking at like a new property? Yeah, man. I, I, I don't think we should think like that. Okay. I think we should think, I think we should think like where, what is the information telling us we should hunt? Yeah. I mean, if you're going in blind and you've never hunted an area before, then yes, look for, look for a staging area, look for a pinch point, look for uh, some bedding area, start there. But as you gather this information, it shouldn't be a matter of, hey, man, you know, I think I'm going to hunt a bedding area today to see, you know, I think more along the lines of where have I seen the most movement? I want to hunt there. And sometimes that movement, and just like you referenced earlier, the pressure, the pressure has pushed them away from a staging area. It's pushed them away from a, uh, a historical pinch point or a bedding area. And now they're, they're bedding or all this activity is on a, in a, in wide open timber, right? Let's just say, because that's where the pressures pushed them. So the, the approach should be, where are the deer at? Not what is the, um, you know, what specific terrain feature should I hunt? There's an asterisk with that comment though, because a majority of the time you're going to find that deer movement in one of those areas in that, in that bedding area, in that, in that, uh, but I don't think you should start with a terrain feature. I think you should start with the deer movement and then work your way. It's almost like reverse engineering what we've been taught. Dan, do you, <clears throat> so for, um, my other friend that, has to drop his kids off at like nine, nine 30 at school, and then <laughs> may have the af afternoon to go, uh, or the rest of the day to go hunt doing that midday hunt. Are you at this point in the year, is that still something that's valid? If you can sneak in uh, your stand and get away with, uh, accessing properly. Here, here's, here's what I'll say. Any time in the woods, in a tree stand is better than any time not in a tree stand, right? So if you want a deer to walk by a tree stand, wherever that's at, you, you are more apt to find, to find a deer, you know, hunt a deer when you're in a tree stand in the woods than you are at a house or in your truck or whatever. So if your schedule only allows for you to do that, then do that. But I hate sitting all day long. And I don't like hunting midday. And so my methodology is different than other people's, right? And it like, I don't think a person should try to duplicate what I do. I think they should try to find what works for them. Uh, and if their schedule doesn't allow them to, you know, hunt the, you know, the sunrise and it only allows them to hunt, you know, certain days, like I, if I didn't tag out this early, my wife had to go back to work and that meant that I had to drop the kids off at daycare and then be back by four 30 when the bus got here. So that would have only left me 
midday hunting, right? From nine to four, basically. And I would have, I would have had to do it because that's, that was my only option. So if it comes down to hunting versus not hunting, I'm always going to say, go hunt. So I was out on set. When was it? I mean, it was like, a, it might've been last Thursday and I actually didn't, I was out in the morning. First thing, didn't have any movement. I had maybe a one doe go through first thing in the morning, but until 1030. And so for me, like at that property, I was almost thinking maybe the midday is, you know, it was, it was 1030. I look up and here come these antlers walking through. Um, do you think that the certain properties, the midday thing would be better than others or uh, is it just kind of the luck of the draw at this point? Man, I, I tell you, you know, if, if we're going to go back to food source to bedding or a deer that is running some kind of a loop, right? The, through It depends on what part of the loop they're in because at depends on where your tree stand is, right? So let's say if your tree stand is up the ridge, 500 yards or up the drainage 500 yards well they're going to come through at uh 8 a.m but if you're down the drainage and they're coming down then hell it might not be 10 o'clock till they get you so it's all relative based off of where you are in that line or that cycle uh, uh throughout the day um but you know there is a doe group that comes through. Let's say I'm, I'm going to go back to one of my favorite tree stands. That's uh, uh, at kind of a crit, couple crit crossings intersect by a doe bedding area on some river bottom ground. And there's a doe group that comes through right at first light. And then there's another doe group that comes by at about 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And they just are in different patterns. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to know, but you just have, I mean, for me, I know because I, I spend so much time in that, in that tree stand over the years, these doe groups are on different cycles. So I have that historical information that says to me, well, I, I shouldn't get out of the tree stand until at least 11 o'clock in, in this area, because historically a doe group comes by at, uh, you know, nine 30, 10 o'clock and maybe there's a big deer behind them. At this point, the rubs and scrapes, are we still watching those pretty heavily? Um, I, it's an indicator. It's an indicator that there's deer there. Um, if it's fresh and tore up, I would most definitely pay attention to it, but I wouldn't be surprised if nothing shows up. Um, man, there, there's a really good graph out there from the national deer association that shows um like peaking in scrapes and it's it through there's like a dead zone during the rut where scraping activity uh, activity kind of halts because all the deer are actively chasing at that point but then once they start to breed the does and uh, the first group of does gets bred then scraping activity kind of increases again and then drops off again uh, once they, they're, you know, these cycles of the rut, once a deer leaves a doe and, uh, and then actively starts looking for another one. But, uh, I would say that if it's really fresh, uh, not so much rubs, but scrapes for sure. 
um, that's a definite indicator that there's a deer in the area. And I would definitely, although it's past data, I would definitely uh, uh, be interested in what, you know, in, in relationship to even a, a really good terrain feature, uh, what that what that looks like. And I would I would definitely put a tree stand in there at least to get a point of reference if there's deer in there or not. Gotcha. One of the other questions I had was, um, you know, I know Iowa's very heavy in agriculture and the Western part of Ohio and parts of Eastern Ohio have, are heavy in agriculture. We hit, we still have a lot of standing crops here. Absolutely. Um, that has to do something to the movement and where they can hide and, and do all their, their business. I mean, how do you, how would you handle uh, if you got standing corn, which is mostly what I've seen a little bit of standing beans still, but mostly corn, how would you handle that in the next couple of weeks? Yeah. So Iowa and the, the areas that I hunt, I'm struggling. People are struggling with that as well. So yes, the corn can, can hide deer. They could be in it. Um, but what I would do is most ag fields have a low spot leading into them or some kind of terrain feature that allows water to drain out of it find that spot set up camp there and i'm telling you right now if it's the lowest spot in the field uh there's gonna be there's got to be some kind of activity in that area or find a good ridge that parallels it and so you you know, you can't see into the cornfield at this point, but what you could do, or it, depending if the, if the ag field is higher and the, the paralleling terrain feature is lower, you can put yourself in that area and catch this, you know, catch yourself in a scenario where the scent is going, you're, the wind is coming through the field and blowing down into you. And maybe you could catch yourself, uh, catching a buck set and checking that field, looking for uh, a doe that's already in there. So why is the lower area better? Um, I would say it's better because the, let's see, how do I put this? It's better because the scent is coming off, you know, if it's coming off of the, the field and dropping down, the deer can smell everything that's in that field without I guess, skylining themselves and they're, they can be hidden. Um, once you start running into a scenario when a uh, scent is coming uphill, which I'm sure there's scenarios, right? I, I'm not saying this is a black and white, like do this, don't do this. Um, I'm just going off of uh, my experience. But once you have wind pushing into a terrain feature, then it's they're probably closer to the field edge than they would be way up on a hill. It, uh, the scent, in my opinion, uh, gets distorted in there and the wind becomes inconsistent compared to if it's, if it's blowing over a field and then it hits the timber, it continues to go over and that scent drops down more consistently than if it would when it's uh, hitting something like an obstacle and then getting forced up it. And if you're sitting in your tree stand and they start to take the crops out of the field, what will that do to your deer movement? Oh, dude, man, I have a spot that is a pinch point. It's right 
it's in between a, a really washed out creek. So the, the creek takes a hard turn and it washed out. So it's real steep and the deer have to come through there. And I've hit that tree stand when they've been combining. And I've had probably 50 deer come through that pinch point while they're in the field. It is, it can be, it can be pretty amazing if you're in the, in the right tree stand for sure. It's good to know. Yeah. The, um, do you use any of these apps or anything when we're talking about the rut? I mean, I won't name name. I, uh, we can name names. I don't care. Um, whether it's like the Spartan forge, they've got the, uh, some of the deer indicators hunt wise. Uh, obviously if you got something like Onyx or hunt stand, you're, you're marking your, your points and that's a little bit different, but any of the, the moon apps, any of that kind of stuff, does that come into play at all uh, for the next few weeks? I don't see how, how it could, how is, how is the computer going to tell you what's or an algorithm going to tell you what is going on in your timber or your farm? <laughs> I mean, it's a great marketing tool and I can understand why people are buying it because they want every single, um, every chip stacked in their favor to try to, to do it. But uh, Spartan Forge is, I, I believe, you know, and I, I know the guy who does it, great guy. And I, I, I understand the science behind it, but how are collared deer sprinkled throughout the United States an indicator of what's going on on your farm? Just like I mentioned earlier, uh, I got a group of does that come in late October and I got another group of does that come in uh, the second week in November. So if the Drury's deer cast says, hey, man, get out in the woods and I go out into the woods and I don't see shit, it's because there's no connection to any type of computer program and what's going on on your woods, in your woods. The only way you'll know is if you're in there. That was slow tonight. Didn't see much movement. Okay, well, go tomorrow and then go to the next day and then go the next day. And then you whittle all of this down into a, uh, hey, man, I know where to go versus I, I, I know where to go. I, I, I just, these, these apps that are supposed to predict deer movement and say, hey, this moon phase is good. Well, guess what? <laughs> like, I have never made a decision on when to hunt based off of a moon phase. Not one time ever in my life. And I'll never, I will never do it. Right. Um, if I have the opportunity to hunt, I'm going to hunt. I got three kids. I got a job, like I or a business. I got to, uh, run. Most people can probably dedicate one, maybe two weeks of vacation to deer hunting. And when are they going to do that? The first two weeks in November. So if, uh, some app is telling you, Oh, conditions look poor today. What are you going to do? Stay home and do the dishes? I don't think so. Get out, like go hunt, man. If someone developed an app that would tell me when a turkey is going to gobble in the spring, I would pay a thousand dollars for that app <laughs> and I would use it religiously. So <laughs> I wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. There you go, Dan. There's your next, your next business thing. You just start a, the Turkey gobble app. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, it's all man. bullshit. And if you just said it's a high goblin day, I'm, I'm going to camp in the woods that night. So, <laughs> Oh, it's a hand up day. Don't yep. even bother. Yeah. No, staying home. Yep. Right. Exactly. I think, I think a lot of people are, are, are looking for some kind of magic pill. 
There is no magic pill. Uh, the, the, the best thing to do is to get out there and hunt and hunt hard and don't take shortcuts and know that, um, you know, keep, keep your eyes, your ears, and your mind open. Cause if you're doing the same, if you're failing multiple times, you're just kind of going through the motions and you're just like twiddling your thumbs when you should be out there going, you should, you should be the algorithm. Not, not the apps. You should be the algorithm. You should be calculating the best chance for success in the woods based off of what you have learned. So I guess that's kind of how I, I see it. I like it. Are you, do you, do you do, do you call it all deer hunting during the rut? <laughs> do you call, do you rattle? What? Yeah. So most of the time I only rattle if I see deer. Okay. Um, I, I left my grunt tube in the truck the night I shot my buck. You had trouble with that this year because you, didn't you drop it out of your stand the one night too? <laughs> yeah, I dropped I dropped my grunt tube out of the stand one night. Luckily, uh, that day I didn't see any deer. But uh, the night that I killed my buck, I saw a um, I saw a, a buck kind of trotting in the field, so I rattled him in, and uh, he came in and uh, he got close, and then he stopped, and I was gonna I reached for my grunt call, and I was like, oh shit, I left it in the truck. So he looped all the way around me. And so I started snort wheezing instead. I just did a mouth snort wheeze. Um, and that kind of brought him back in the area, which led to my shooter buck coming into the area. He started raking a tree. I snort wheezed at him one more time. Uh, he looked back at me. He went back to raking a tree. And then I, uh, it looked like he was going away and I snort wheezed one more time. So three in total. And he just pulled a, a 180 and started walking right towards me. And then I ended up shooting him. So, um, so I wouldn't recommend the snort wheeze call right off of the, right out of the bat. Why, why don't you uh, demonstrate that for us? <laughs> the, audio, yeah, the, the, the audio would probably make it sound way worse yeah. than what it really Turn is. It down. Yeah. That's funny. So, well, Corey, Paul, you guys got any more questions? No, Dan, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate um, it. Just one uh like spin-off caveat from the, the crops is uh after they are cut, like so the property I hunt, uh they're going out to feed the does are still going out, they were going out to feed in the bean field. Mm-hmm. Well, Friday night he cut all the beans down and I'm just wondering how I anticipate how they're going to travel from now on. Like, are they still going to head out that way into the bean field to cross to the other? Cause they're crossing to the other side of the woods. Uh, they're crossing the bean field to get to the other small plot of woods where they're bedded down at. And I'm just wondering if they're still going to use that travel route or they're going to go the long way around and stay in the timber the whole time. Uh, if, if there's a low spot in the, in the field and they can kind of work their way through without being skylined, I, I bet you they still use the field because it's a great opportunity for them to feed as they're making their way through the area. Um, is that, are, are you referring to a morning or a after. afternoon? So it's like what you talked about earlier with getting mobile and all that, that it hit the nail right on the head because Friday night I was in a fixed ladder stand and I had four deer pass by me out of, well, my bow range, they all passed by at 47 yards and I wasn't going to take a shot. So Sunday evening, I went and got in a climber on the other side of that trail where they all passed by. 
and he was the the farmer was was uh combining all the beans so i expect that's i don't know they he they, he kept them out of the field that night and i think that's why i didn't see any but um yeah i it i don't know what to expect now i just get back out there uh get yourself in your ladder stand in the area where you where you saw them either come out or go into the timber and that's just a, a good starting point right? Um, for me, I'd probably even be in the timber further down the trail that they come out of. Uh, so you're not waiting for them because once they hit an open area like that, then they start to spread out a little bit. And yeah. Yeah. Then they're, st- they stop using the, the, the cover of the terrain to make their th- way through the landscape. Um, and then they kind of spread out a little bit and they're not as concentrated. Um, and hell they could come out anywhere on a field edge. That's exactly what happened to me because I had a very nice shooting lane for me. But when he when the buck that was with the doe stepped out, he didn't step out into my shooting lane. He stepped out and walked diagonal from me using the cover, which it's like he knew you were there. I know. (laughs) He's so smart. But yes, yeah, I. To your point, yeah, that's exactly what he did. He stayed along the edge of all the cover to get out to the field rather than coming to my nice open shooting lane. So hence why I climbed to the other side of the trail the, the next night I hunted. But yeah, that that's a really good point. Yeah, man, it just it, it's uh it never ends until it ends. So I mean you just have to keep, you know, you have to keep moving, keep refining every setup, um, and just keep some sometimes it's worth not being mobile if you're in the right spot and deer continue to come by you. Uh, let's say that doe group that we've talked about, you know, it's like, Oh man, these, one of these gals has got to start coming into heat really soon. I got a trail camera picture of a buck in the area at some point. It's just, he's got to be coming behind him. He's got to be coming behind him. So maybe that's the good place for the ladder stand is in that spot where it's just, cause I don't get me wrong. I'm not, 100% mobile every single time. I have tree stands that are, they're in a spot for a reason. It's because it's a great pinch point where it's on a really a good crick crossing or it's downwind of a really major thicket. Uh, and it's just historically there's deer there, but those are good on in, in certain conditions and only certain conditions uh, aside from when I'm, it's uh, when I'm being mobile I'm trying to work off of those locations. And, you know, so for example, um, uh, the night I shot my deer, I had hunted the same tree stand three days in a row, uh, morning and evening. And I said, man, I've just put a lot of pressure on this area. I haven't seen my target buck from this tree stand, but I know he's in the area. I'm going to back off and I'm going to go to another, um, I'm going to go where these two ridges connect. Sure enough, that's where he showed up. So, um, it's, it's being able to, you know, make these micro adjustments off of, uh, uh, really good terrain features. And, and like, it sounds like other, other pretty good tree stand locations. Good stuff. You're tagged out, buck tagged out first week of November. What's, what's next for you this, this season, this fall, this winter, you going back to Nebraska? Oh man, if I asked my wife if I could go back to Nebraska, (laughs) 
there, there might be a fight. And I, <laughs> I like, I, I've already taken, I've already shot a deer in South Dakota this year. And I've, I've shot a deer in, um, uh, I've shot a deer in Iowa. Uh, I would love to get back to Nebraska, but some of these States, their rifle openers uh, are at the end of this week. So I probably won't be able to make it out. Now I'm putting all my positive energy into more rain. So, so the farmers in the area can't get the crops out of the field so that it really throws a wrench into the, the shotgun hunters. Um, and that, but makes, makes uh, late season for me really awesome. That's awesome. Well, Dan, if there is uh, anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, but knows who we are, then uh, that's weird. So do you want, by, <laughs> by chance, do you, do you want to tell uh, people where they can find you and all your, your stuff? Well, I tell you what, if you're listening to this podcast, you've already found out where my podcast is at. So um, keep listening to the O2 podcast and, uh, and, and the rest of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation, and uh, they're going to be doing just fine. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Dan, and uh, good luck to everybody out there in the back half of November coming up here. Hopefully you learned a thing or two and take that out to the field with you. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Dan. Thank you, guys. Yep.